What up, what up, true believers? Welcome back to Bedouin Banter number 30. Back on the show here with the Dose, Khadid Dosri, of course, as your host always. Every week, Monday, coming at you with this uh, special episode of the podcast. You guys have uh, been really pushing the numbers up there. Thank you for the subscribers. Uh, by the way, if we can get to 100, apparently something special unlocks. It's the lowest tier of sludge and drudgery that is uh, YouTube. So uh, thank you for that. We're going to be talking about some fun stuff today. It's going to be themed after the idea of um, reality versus fantasy. Is reality too boring? Is life too boring? We're going to find out. This show is definitely going to prove whether or not you're going to be bored after the first five minutes. Uh, some special stories, including Tom Cruise. Going to talk about the Musk baby, Elon Musk, of course, and how he's tied into Tom Cruise as well. Uh, some other tech-related stuff, and also later on, and Nahaya, which is going to be the Egyptian sci-fi drama currently being aired throughout the uh, month of Ramadan. So for those of you just joining us in the month of Ramadan on this podcast, Ramadan Barak, it's been a weird one. A lot of people don't even like the shows these days. They don't like what the, the content has been on TV. We've talked about the Zionist agenda that's been permeating through... <laughs> Through most of Ramadan uh, on the TV shows, only two shows on NBC really. So we're gonna we talked about that last time with Matruk. Check out the last episode uh, because if his numbers aren't bumped up, he's off the show. Honestly, it's terrible. Look at them compared to to Mike Donovan. I feel like the white boys are always more popular. Doesn't matter. It's that gushla uh, skin. It's the Saudi demographic. They're just tuning in. Ah, Salik. Yeah, gushla. But um, we're, we're going to be talking about the other side of the equation. Last time, me and Matruk, uh, we were talking about, you know, the shows that are pro-Israel. Uh, well, this show at the end, Nahaya, is, uh, has had some controversy from Israelis, from Jews, about its, uh, the topics it's covering. So we're going to get to that and uh, hopefully much more uh, alongside you guys as well if you're in the chat with me. Uh, keep your questions coming. As always, uh, statements and comments are appreciated. But remember, there's always a delay, there's always a lag, and sometimes I'm busy looking at the uh, console. So if I don't see your comment in time, or if I don't have a, a spot, I'm in the flow, I'm in the rant, I don't get an opportunity to actually talk to you, it's all right. We'll, we'll catch you on the next go. And we'll address it all at the end of the show. Right, so let's get to the start of the show and the news at hand and why Tom Cruise, Mr. Cruise man, Mr. Scientology, wants to go to space. Quite literally, actually, he does want to go to space. Uh, people have been uh, talking about this for a while now, for the last week. Uh, he's been uh, <laughs> controversially talking about the fact that they, they're planning to make a movie alongside NASA. So in collaboration with NASA and the International Space Station to shoot a movie in space. So legitimately in zero gravity, in orbit, none of that, like, you know, it's not, not, not the plane thing that goes into the strat stratosphere and then you feel like you're, you're kind of not... I don't know how that works, actually. I need somebody that understands how that stuff works for you to lose gravity. But you remember that stuff they did years back with the porno that they shot in in the stratosphere with the plane, and then you lose your gravity or you start floating, whatever it is? Not that. This is legitimately in orbit. It's going to be real. Scientologist is going to make it to space as the first one because uh, my theory is Tom Cruise is scared shitless of uh, Shah Rukh Khan. He wants to make sure that me, even though Shah Khan has beaten him as uh, Bollywood's Tom Cruise with more money, more success, and probably better movies, uh, he wants to make sure legitimately that he's the first person to at least make it to space and film a movie there. Now, if you don't know anything about Tom Cruise, uh, he has a habit of filming his movies uh, with uh, what I would call very high insurance costs. He likes to do his own stunts. Uh, he, I think he hung off of that, the side of that plane as well in Mission Impossible. Broke his ankle at one point. Uh, continued 
during the shoot to actually maintain making the movie. And I can't remember who said this on a podcast. I think it might have been Andrew Schultz. Uh, he's amazing. He was talking about how the fact that Tom Cruise and the way he films his movies, if you were the director, you'd probably want him to shoot all those scenes at the end. Let this risky white motherfucker actually, you know, take the risk at the end of the movie where he's not going to fuck everything up for me. And, um, you know, if, if you're, I guess you're an insurance company and you're, you, you have stuntmen, you know, the, the premiums go down. But if it's Tom Cruise and he's the guy the whole movie hinges on, I feel like he's probably paying those premiums himself. I don't know how the studio allows him to take risks. You know, I remember Jackie Chan used to piss people off for doing that um, because, you know, you're risking the whole project, millions and millions of dollars by you doing your own stunts. And that's why they don't want to do it, usually. But if you have Tom Cruise money, you have uh, Scientology backing you up. That's Scientology money. Them Scientology scare tactics because they own most of uh, Los Angeles, from what I understand, real estate-wise. So I think you can do whatever the hell you want to do. Now, what I don't understand, I understand the Tom Cruise part of it, but what I don't understand is the uh, International Space Station and NASA. How are they okay with Tom Cruise actually filming up there? And we're going to get to the reality versus, versus fantasy version of this whole discussion later on. But for now, I just want to understand why they're doing this and how. Because if he messes up, it's not just money. It's all these nations that are paid into the International Space Station. One thing goes wrong, including how you're going to shoot it. I don't know if it's one scene in one movie. We don't know what kind of movie it is. They didn't say if it's Mission Impossible or anything else. They just said that it's a movie in space in the station. And as you can see here, NASA's confirmed it with Jim, Jim Bridenstine. Steinerstein? Is it Steinerstein? It's Jewish. NASA is excited to work with Tom Cruise on a film aboard the space station. We need popular media to inspire a new generation of engineers and scientists to make NASA's ambitions and uh, plans a reality. No, I think you just need money. <laughs> I think you're I think you're realizing that Elon is just taking you out of business. <laughs> I think this is the first sign of a desperate NASA. Because Elon's about to I think he's about to launch the isn't he taking up the first crew to the space station himself on his SpaceX program? I'm not sure which one of those. But I know he's gonna be doing some some uh, freelance hustle for NASA taking over the logistics of it. So if, um, if they're losing their funding, if they're not that relevant anymore because you can just privatize the whole thing, then I guess you're, you're second at Scientology cock, aren't you? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Sorry, I'm getting vulgar. I need to, I need to learn how to make these jokes without going into this realm. But uh, that's the reality. I guess NASA's worried. They need to make a little bit of a side hustle happen for them. So why not film movies in space? That's going to be uh, one hell of a, I guess, a well, project because you've, you've got the space for about six people on that thing. I think there, there are only six astronauts at any given time on the International Space Station. You can't really take up a lot of gear and equipment because every ounce, every little kilo that goes up there, every pound that goes up to space is worth a dollar sum. So that's how they measure it usually. So you can't take all the camera equipment in the world. Maybe you can take a few GoPros then I guess have the director down in Houston or somewhere else like Cape Canaveral. And they'd just be, I guess, directing it from there. Maybe it's just the live stream. Maybe it's one of those like not real movies. Like what was that other movie that Elon made, which is kind of like, you know, futuristic Mars mission, but not really. And it's kind of looks real, but it's not real, but it's trying to be as real as possible. It's on Netflix for a while. I can't remember the name. If somebody knows it, 
shout it out in chat and let me know what you think about this whole thing. Because it's going to be the future, guys. You know, first they're going to start off with Hollywood movies. Then it's going to be the Bollywood ones and the Dollywood and the Tollywood. And maybe some Chinese movies as well. But they'd probably just make their own space station. Didn't they make their own movie anyway? What was it called? The Wandering Earth? That was a fun one. <laughs> so we'll see. Maybe this is the new trend. You know, realism. See how I segued into this? Because uh, my concern, the biggest concern I have, even with Mr. Tom Cruise, is if you want like more realism in your shots, in your movies, if there's just a, a vain attempt at being the first to do something like this, then maybe you're going to end up disappointing people. Because this could be the one that you know causes Icarus, Mr. Tom, to actually fall down. You know, a lot of people don't like realism in their movies. They don't like it in TV shows. Uh, it tends to rob us of our ability to suspend. I guess, disbelief and, and pretend that, hey, you know, Legolas can shoot 100 orcs at a time with his quiver and whilst he's, you know, rolling a joint. I don't know. Something along those lines. But we don't want to be told that it's not real. Even though some of those breakdown YouTube videos that tell you that, yeah, that's bullshit. Have you seen those? The ones that go over, like, certain things in movies like the Hunger Games and, and the bowmanship there or even the fighting. There's another good one about close combat fighting. Breaks down The Witcher which is going to inspire something we're going to talk about later on with realism versus fantasy. Breaks it down to the point where you start to understand, hey, you know what? The real sword fighting, the real bow hunting, the real stuff in space, if you actually shot space in space, would just look weird. It's that boring blackness that usually causes one or two conspiracy theorists to go, it's not real. That's my theory as to why people look at the moon missions and a lot of those images from space and videos from space and they're like, yeah, that looks bullshit, man. It doesn't look real. It doesn't look good. It doesn't look real and it doesn't look good because life doesn't look good. You know, half of those Instagram models you're looking at, you can see the photoshopping. And once you look at them in real life, you're like, huh, your, your butt isn't as curvy as I thought it was. That's different. That's some of the Kim Kardashian photos as well. Hollywood people. You remember when the... What is it? What is it? Uh, I can't remember their name. What was the name of the channel? It's not E. It's the other ones. The other ones that stalk Hollywood people and take their photos. And, and they always take the worst ones possible. Like you'd be like, Salma Hayek is the hottest chick in the world. And then you see her shopping. And she's just like all slumped like this. She kind of looks like me. But on a better day, I guess. Like, this is reality, okay? That's what they, they look like. They got flip-flops on, shorts, the baseball cap, all zitted up, all shiny. They look bad. And the only reason we like those photos, or the reason those photos sell, is so people can feel good about the fact that the lie was a lie. And so you can look at the photo and go, hey, you know what? They're shitty too. I don't suck so much. You've convinced me, you've brainwashed me for so long into thinking these photos are perfect because you're perfect, because everything is perfect, when really, <laughs> look at you. You're a nasty-ass person, aren't you? Look at you picking your nose in that shot. I do that too, but you shouldn't because you're special. So I think that's what's happening here. I think that's what's going to happen to Tom Cruise. If he does film the whole movie in space, bravo to him as far as the technical achievement. But I feel like on film, the way we look at it, we're going to judge it so hard. We're going to be like, that's so boring. And it'll, it'll be the same people 
that say that you know the, the when when you put too much graphics and sci-fi in a movie, too much CGI, it's like that's bullshit, man. It's all cartoony shit. It's like that World of Warcraft Disney crap, bro. It's too colorful. But really, you want that little sweet spot. I, I like the animatronics as well. The, uh, what do they call it? Real practical effects. I like that too. But there is something to be said that there's a, there's a perfect balance point between realism and fakery. Because you can't just go raw. You can't, you can't do this show. This show needs to, to hit a bit more of the fakery, I feel. Just, just to be able to up the quality and some people's expectations. I know that's not the case because I feel like with, uh, with most of my shows, if you compare it to what's available in the Middle East, even my stand-up show, a lot of people go, that's good. It's really good. You're really, I love your podcast. It's amazing. At the back of their head, they're saying, for a Bahraini one, it's good. Because they're, they're comparing me to everything else on the market. And I think it's the, that's the demand for quality. After a certain point, people want quality. And they want to be faked. They want to be told this is the amount of cosmetics and magic, movie magic that we're going to play here that I want in my life. I need to see a little bit of betterness. I need to know that you're better than me. Betterness, that's not even a word, is it? I need to know that you're better than me. And I want you to fake it, just for a bit, please, because that's quality. That's what defines quality and a professional. So hopefully that means that it does well for Tom. I don't want this to be the end of it. TMZ, thank you, Abdullah, you got it. Uh, Ahmed says, not original. The porno called at first. They wanted to film a movie in space. That's the one I'm talking about. They wanted to do it in space. Porn is always leading the way, man. And technology. Porn is ahead of everybody else. They backed VR. They backed a bunch of other cinema, like, um, I think it was some cinema techniques and lenses. Just basically most technology, the funding behind it, the early people that fund it isn't, isn't private businesses. Well, porn is a private business, but you know what I mean. It isn't respectable corporations and it's not the government. It's porn. It's like Neil deGrasse Tyson when he, when he, he calls out everybody on the space program. It's like, NASA didn't didn't go to space because we we had dreams. It wasn't because we wanted adventure. It was because of the Russians, because of the Cold War, because of the government needing to go to space. I said it's probably porn. It was probably funded by porn. Most things are. Avatar is probably porn. All money, you follow the money, it goes past the government, past the Zionists past the Illuminati, past the lizard people, and it finds itself back at porn. It's where all the money comes from. Your money. The true democracy. Pornhub. So this is another good example, by the way, of reality meets fiction. Um, porn. This is a weird one. Because for the longest time, porn was all about scripting and writing and porn stars that actually wanted to be actors and actresses or politically correct terms actor doesn't matter in any case it, it all started with that idea that you wanted to be legitimately like hollywood you wanted a production value you wanted story you wanted depth you wanted an arc so there was an actual writer involved 
and not just like, you know, I guess, um, what is it? There's no Hollywood script anymore for, I mean, for porn. Is there? I don't think there's any porn script writing. Not, not, I think they just tell them, like reality TV, like they cue them, like, hey, you're getting into a fight and then you're going to fuck. Just go with the flow. They probably do some improv workshops. Just yes and. But that's basically how it used to be in the 70s. Script, production, everything. And then it changed and it started becoming all about the, the cinematography, the visceral shots, you know, uh, all the angles. It was all about the angles and where it's coming from and, and how, literally where it's coming from, I guess. And the graphic nature of the shot because people's preferences changed, right? And after that, you come into the internet generation and it all becomes about amateur stuff. So real, raw, smartphone stuff, like this show. Kind of like that boundary between quality and crap, because there's that realness to it. And people want to know what real people do. How do real people fuck? I don't know, I want to know. So I want to see this. And you have the rise of the internet generation of porn and, and, and kinks and weird unknown stuff, and it changes again. But the truth is, where reality meets fiction, and the people who are having it the worst is the, are the people that are, you know, the women. <laughs> the women are having it the worst. There's a whole generation of Saudis that I know, that I am a part of, that I will not criticize because I am a part of, that had all their sexual education not come from sex ed, which I didn't get till much later when I actually got to Bahrain, and I was in high school. And by the time they were teaching me sex ed, I'd already seen, you know, more than they would ever teach me in a lifetime. In three lifetimes. Like, I've probably seen more naked people in my life than most of human civilization. Like, historically speaking. You have too, if you, if you admit to watching it. You have seen more porn than everybody that's ever lived. You've seen more naked people fucking than all of Rome. Like, ancient Rome. And they had a lot of fucking. They had a lot of people just constantly, whether they wanted to or not, constantly just having floppy dicks all around. So the, the point I'm making is this. Women have it the worst. They're struggling because they have to deal with men that have an unrealistic expectation of sex. And there's a lot of documentaries that are good that are about this. Uh, people, whether they are consuming stuff from the porn industry or not. Whether it's people that are in it or not. And uh, how they've kind of like projected what they've learned from porn onto their life. Realizing that that's not how life is. So really, when I talked earlier about historical martial arts, and uh, which is uh, HEMA. Historical European martial arts, all the sword play. The movies make it seem like, you know, everything is the reverse grip shit. Everything is like The Witcher, you know? Where is this? Let me get the graphic up there. That shit. But it, porn <laughs> does the same thing. There's a lot of reverse grip play as well. But that's not real. It doesn't look that good. Like, if you've ever seen any kind of fencing or historical European martial arts, it doesn't look that good. It doesn't look that interesting. If you can appreciate the subtlety of the movements, 
and everything that goes into the, the, the wrist play. Again, the parallels are amazing here. You can tell that men constructed the world. No, no, they didn't. Because things are just shaped like dicks, all right? We didn't plan that, feminists. It just happens naturally. You know, anything that's long, you can equate to being a dick. That's not my point. My point is that if you, if you look at these kinds of martial arts, in Hollywood, you know, Game of... Oh, calm down. Phallic thing. Be calm. If you look at, you know, Game of Thrones, there are a lot of these videos that criticize the fighting in Game of Thrones. They're like, that's ridiculous. You would never use a longsword like that. These broad, heavy swings. Like, as if it's so heavy. When really a longsword is actually pretty light. And most of the movement is staying close within a specific range. There are some kinds of, like, broadswords, I guess, that are, you know, the heavy hitters that are all about that swing and that range. <laughs> all about that swing. It's, that sounds like another porno right there. <laughs> Brazzers. All about that swing. Now, that's the next Witcher parody. No, what I'm talking about is the fact that reality, when it meets fiction, guys, be mature adults here. When it meets fiction, you can't, your brain doesn't want to separate the two. Because your brain is like, I need it to be interesting. It can be interesting from another intellectual level. Like when I played kendo, which is basically Japanese uh, fencing, I was surprised. I was surprised and really confused by the fact that there's a lot of these strikes that were meant to score points. So they didn't seem like real strikes, which I'm not going to criticize that, but I'm going to say that the other kinds of strikes, the ones that would kill you, even they felt like they were playing the maximum range game. It didn't feel like it was being dramatic or emphasized in any way. It was all about that just efficiency of, like, oh, you did that? There. Yeah, tap there. So I remember there was this instructor who came from Japan who was, like, notorious for, like, going around different dojos in the States and, like, basically coming in to, to, to help teach and, and give advice and give this course. And he was, he was English was terrible. Right, But you could tell from his movements, from the way he was describing, the way he was trying to communicate with you about your own movements, that a lot of the stuff we were doing was exaggerated and unnecessary. And he was just trying to explain to you that it's just no different than the efficiency of, like, um, of using a paintbrush. Something that you, you gently tap or you'd look for certain openings without exerting too much effort. So it's kind of like the comparison from the early UFC days to what we have now where back in those days it's like everybody's going wild nobody knows what works and now you have more precision fighting you do have people that know how to improvise this for sure but you do have kind of things settle into an understandable norm of what works in reality and what doesn't and hollywood tends to ignore that because our brain doesn't want something boring for a lot of people the ufc is not boring it's not for me uh, if you understand what's happening, I, I'd say the best example would be jujitsu. And I'm not an expert, by the way. I don't know any of it. I don't watch most of these fights. Uh, I'll be honest about that. But I, I do know from some of my friends that do, and from the time I did spend doing a little bit of it, is that once you even do a little bit, you start to appreciate the level of depth that goes into something like jujitsu. And you realize that you don't even see 
you don't see a fraction of what's below the surface. And if you're somebody, somebody that's a master, you're at the higher rank of understanding it and, and doing it, you can see so much. So to you, it's so entertaining. You can value it. A good example would be Dota or any video game where nobody knows what the fuck you're seeing. They look at Overwatch, they look at Dota, they look at any of the video games that you're into, and they're like, what the fuck is happening? It's like all these fires, explosions, there's like a dragon that's flying around. This is not Overwatch, I know, but you know what I'm talking about with Dota and everything else. From their perspective, it just looks insane. It looks like you're looking at a screen and you just went insane. And you're just going, <laughs> yes, he's already dead. That's beautiful. And, and they just hear you, like how my wife hears me. Just going, demons, bomb, explosion, aspect scan, left, right. Things are going there. And then we come in with a drop shell. We open our, uh, uh, no, no, no. He's using go, go, go. And then there's overlapping arcs of fire because the Imperial Guard know what they're doing. And then the aliens come in and they're doing this. And you sound retarded. And, and <laughs> because if, it, if, it's not an, it's, if it's not relatable to the average person, it's no longer interesting. It either looks like a chaotic mess or it just looks boring. Like, that, that, that is the reality of the situation, unfortunately. It's like what I, call, I consider the reality... What was that? Reality expectation meme? Reality versus expectation. That's what I found when I... <laughs> that's what I found when I, I first lost weight the first time. By the way, I'm, I'm back almost up to my original uh, fatness, my girthiness... Uh, I'm close. I'm not there yet, but I'm going to get there. And I remember the first time I wanted to lose weight, my, I think I got close to 140 kg. Don't know how much of that is in pounds. But that was like 138, 140. And the first time I lost weight and I got down to like 98 to 95. You look great. You feel amazing. And you could not have been in better shape in your whole life. You did that feeling of energy, of feeling confident. It's real. But what people don't tell you, what they will never tell you, is the fact that you don't, that just doesn't go away. The loose skin, the stretch marks. A lot of this shit doesn't go away, guys. I don't know if you can see it, but I can't get to it. It's like tiger skin. Stretch marks right there. Forever. All across. And they tell you, oh no, that fades away. You can pigment tattoo that. It's not going away. By the way, the second I just did this, that means I'm demonetized for life. I'm probably, <laughs> I probably got banned off of Instagram and everywhere else. Whatever, wherever this is going to end up going to. But my point is that, uh, to those of you listening on the audio, I just lifted my shirt and I was showing everybody my stretch marks. The, 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 the stretchiness of your, your, what do they call it? The, uh, the, Gelatin? No, not the gelatin. The elasticity of your skin. That doesn't go back to normal. There's a lot of stuff that you can do, plastic surgery-wise, etc., to make it better, I guess. But even with all the weight loss, that's the one thing that you're like, huh, you guys didn't tell me about this. You made it seem like, you know, if I just did all of this, everything would go back to normal. I'd read the pristine young Khalid before my first belly. Prototype Khalid. But uh, <laughs> that's not true, apparently. And that's the expectation versus reality, right? So I'm not saying don't lay, lose weight. I'm not saying don't, you're not going to get value out of it. Of course you're going to get value. You're going to get healthier. You're going to feel more confident. You're going to look a thousand times better and feel a thousand times better. 
than what you were at. I could tell you that for sure. But Adele is definitely hiding some uh, some stuff. So she looks amazing, but I promise you there's a lot going on down there. A lot of like um looseness. Like as long as I like as as long as if I'm on top, I just don't do this where I'm like I'm hanging and then everything kind of like falls like <laughs> Just a flap of skin. <laughs> it's terrible. All right, I'm going away. I'm getting a bit too graphic, right? But yeah, and I, like, we're going to get into the last portion of uh, reality versus expectation, I guess. Well, the, the theme is going to continue all throughout the show, obviously. But uh, I want to cover some stories today. And um, the, the one thing I wanted to talk about was the fact that I was really surprised by the announcement of uh, Musk, Elon Musk and his baby. Beautiful baby. Beautiful newborn. Uh, Musk had recently gone on to the Joe Rogan uh, experience and also talked about the baby a, a little bit beforehand. Uh, plus his controversy with CNN about all the stuff with the respirators and COVID and how, what his stance is on um, the, you know people's uh, beliefs about the, the whole thing and what they should be doing in the States. We're not going to cover that because I'm sick and tired of COVID. But I will cover the fact that with everything that's going on, I feel like... Musk might be sneaking something underneath the radar. I'll tell you what I mean by that. So, as I said, beautiful baby, beautiful wee child, but there's something off with this child, which is the name. Okay? This is, this is a little wee baby's name. That, that, exactly. X, A-E, which stands for Ash, by the way. I, I guess that early on a lot of people were saying it online, but some people were trying to disprove that before he confirmed it and before his wife Grimes confirmed it. Not Grimes Musk, by the way, just Grimes. That's a name now. And you can see the heritage of naming and where it comes from directly from her. So X Ash A12 Musk. And they finally broke it down. And apparently what it stands for is the following, because Grimes tweeted about it. And I'll tell you my theory about it. This is reality versus expectation, what my expectation was. The reality is apparently X stands for the unknown variable. So unknown, what it is, nobody knows what it is, right? AE, my elven spelling of AI. So love and for artificial intelligence. So she gets to decide whichever one she wants. <laughs> Musk then confirmed it was also Ash, by the way. So I guess there's a disagreement there. A12 is uh, the precursor to the SR-17, both of their favorite aircrafts. No weapons, no defenses, just speed. Great in battle, but non-violent. I bet you, I bet you, by the way she's describing that, the SR-17, which is the, uh, the, the old school, like, uh, what is it called? Is it the Blackbird? I think that's the name. But that, that, the black, sleek-looking spy, um, spy plane, the one from my childhood. That everybody wanted the model of. So I bet you he wanted SR-17. And she was like, that's too violent. That has weaponry in it. And he was like, well, what about the A-12? It's just a prototype for that one anyway. It doesn't have any defensive capabilities either. Because he probably said it doesn't attack. It's like, yes, but does it defend itself? I guess. Speed is a kind of defense. So yeah, that's the idea behind that. So it's uh, the precursor, so the prototype to the SR-17. And the A 
stands for Archangel, her favorite song. I don't know what metal rat is. I have no idea what's going on there. I don't know if that's the name of the band or she just had like, I don't know, like a little bit of a spasm and typed out metal rat. That's the breakdown of the name. Here's my theory, okay? I think the baby, here's what I'm gonna say, right? You say X unknown variable, so there's something unknown about this baby. Ash, she says elven. Musk confirms that it's Ash. So it has nothing to do with her own elven language that she's apparently made up. Ash stands for artificial intelligence, the unknown variable, and a prototype. I feel like the news is not reporting and no conspiracy theory has come up yet. I wish it will, just for the funsies, because this is obviously bullshit. I think it's a robot baby. I think this is humanity's first robot baby that they've just unveiled. Because maybe it's like the, the plot of that one movie. I can't remember what it's called. Maybe it's a series where this crazy, you know, tech giant CEO creates his own kid because he can't have one or he lost one. can't remember which one it was. I'm saying Ash. Why? Because Ash is one of the characters from the movie Alien, which is my favorite movie. And also... One of Musk's favorite sci-fi movies, by the way, Ash, Artificial Alien, uh, sorry, Artificial Robot, from Wayland yutani a corporation that wants to send people to space. You guys seeing the link here? X, unknown variable, AI, artificial intelligence, and prototype A12, relies on speed, has no defensive capabilities because it's a baby, no weapons yet, because they haven't turned it against humanity just yet. But I am telling you, I believe this baby is the precursor to some later version of a goddamn Skynet robot. We could be looking at the Terminator. <laughs> That's my bullshit theory anyway. I feel like everybody's burying the lead here. Everybody's focusing on, is he allowed to name the baby that way? Is that legal? Is it legal? And, I, and this is, by the way, a real thing. If people don't know this, is that you, in certain states, even in certain countries, you can't, you can't legally name your kids something really weird or that doesn't make sense. Some people say it's because of abuse. Some people say it just messes up with the databases and, you know, how people can search for your child and well, how they can apply for social security, stuff like that. Uh, in Saudi, if I'm not mistaken, there were certain names that were banned, that were Bedouin names, that were considered too harsh on the kids. Like kids that they didn't like, they'd call them Jesh or something. <laughs> I can't confirm if this is real, by the way. This is just stuff my parents told me as a kid. So they could just be lying about it. Maybe this was their own way of threatening me to not misbehave or they'll just rename me Jaish. But apparently this is a thing in a lot of countries. You're not allowed to name your kids specific names uh, or just symbols and characters, etc. All right, going into the chat. Hard <laughs> be thirsty today. Say, Abdullah, the pun game is strong with this one. With a mom like Grimes, what would you expect? It's weird. Oh yeah, it is the Blackbird, that's right, the X-Men's jet is based on it, so that's the SR-17, the precursor is the A-12, 
<laughs> this is the equivalent of his kid being named Fire Truck. It's obvious she didn't want a, an A-17 or SR-17 because it's actually the SR-71. And didn't even care to tweet the correct name. <laughs> you know, I didn't even notice that. Did she? I'm, I thought I misread it. She, it's, she, she typed SR-17. Nicely done, Matruk. Right? So, obviously, you know Matruk. And he's, he's uh, Matruk is an aspiring aircraft engineer. There's a lot of aircraft engineers in his, his family, a lot of pilots as well. I think mostly pilots. So, it's a good correction. It is the SR-71 Blackbird. Are you sure there isn't an SR-17? Though, maybe, I don't want to, like, trash talk her and then find out that there was one. And then they came out with a 71. In any case, she didn't even care to tweet the correct name. And if I'm not mistaken, by the way, X is not the unknown variable, right? X is what they used in aircraft design when something is a prototype. That's the designation, right? When something is still in the prototype phase and they're still testing it out, they have to give it the designation X. So if this is a prototype robot baby, then that's what the X stands for, Mrs. Unknown Variables. <laughs> He is Wayland Yutani. I'm telling you, that's Abdel Nasser is, uh, is joining in on this. He agrees with my theory. I think it's Wayland Yutani. I think Musk has a desire in the future to actually do his own thing. I think he's inspired by Peter Bishop. Uh, <laughs> and uh, was it no Peter Wayland and Bishop Wayland, if I'm getting my uh, movies correct. He's inspired by them because he's not happy with the way uh, certain other tech giants controlling the world and the media and he wants to do his own thing he's got the money too same thing is happening with um what's his name alien overlord amazon big brain guy from south park controls our minds and our futures and everything we buy what's his name ah i'm losing it right now you know him in any case people have been commenting can he use the name can musk be calling his baby this <laughs> I've even seen something that I, I can't believe is happening. Certain people in Hollywood are commenting. Gwyneth Paltrow called it uh, somewhat controversial, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's the quote. I might be wrong here. But in any case, she shouldn't be commenting about jack shit. Gwyneth, you're the lady that made a poop. Was it a poop? No, a candle. The goop show. So that's what I'm thinking about poop. Because it's garbage and it's poop. You made the goop show. And you made... A candle that's supposed to smell like your own vagina. That's your contribution to humanity. That's your contribution to feminism. You know what? That's what I'm going to do, Gwyneth. I am going to go to Saudi. I'm going to go back to all the women I know that have had struggles with feminism in the 21st century, that have had to move and progress things against either a hierarchy or a real patriarchy, by the way. And I'm going to give them your vagina candle. That's going to help them. That is the contribution that humanity needs. You come up with them. And some people have said, by the way, after buying your expensive candle, that it doesn't even smell like vagina. They were probably hoping that it would look like it. At least porn stars keep their promises. They cast the mold straight onto those VJs. And make sure it looks exactly like their own. You, however, have deceived the consumer 
your fans, and everybody else. And you also filmed Shallow Hal. If you still regret that movie, and I still regret watching it, then he should not be commenting on Elon Musk's baby. That man can afford to do whatever crazy shit he wants to because he's actually changing the world. You, on the other hand, make vagina candles. Wow. She's just jealous. As Pepper Potts, she wanted to marry Elon. She's like, I wanted my Tony Stark in real life. Goddamn Grimes. I would have called the baby miracle. And then made a vagina candle out of it. <clears throat> Ahmed Metruk says, yes, X is the prototype territory. Thank you, Jeff Bezos. That's what I was thinking of. In aviation, at least. That's about X. There you go, Gwyneth. Good job. Thank you for the commentary. Always much needed. <laughs> right. So we're getting to that 42-minute zone. That means we're going to be closing out on the last story, guys. The last review of the show I've been watching. I just started today, actually, because I wanted to review it for a while. Just finished watching the first episode of Al Nihaya. The end. Okay. All right, there we go. Didn't click. The end. Now, this show has been very controversial, guys. Not necessarily in the Arab world, but in the rest of the world. Didn't know. She called her baby, by the way, to the comment on the chat. She called her baby Apple. I don't think it was orange. Oh, yeah. To, there you go. To fit with her son, Apple. Very smart. In any case, back onto the story. This is why I shouldn't address the chat always. It just messes up my flow. Right. So, Israel has made some comments about the TV show. So I'll let you guys know, the Israelis are not happy with El Nihaya. Egyptian TV show about Israel's destruction opens real-world rift. So this is by The Guardian, reported. An Egyptian science fiction drama that predicts Israel's destruction has provoked an angry reaction from the Jewish state, including from the country's foreign ministry, which reminded its neighbor of a decades-old peace deal set in the year 2120, so that's 2120, and the series called In the Haya, meaning the end, imagines a bleak future with cloned robots, battered skyscrapers, and relentless violence. Let me do this with a proper voice. <clears throat> in episode one. The protagonist, played by acclaimed actor Yusuf El-Sharif, tells the students of a war to liberate Jerusalem that occurred before Israel turned 100, less than three decades from the present day. He said Israeli Jews of European origin returned to Europe. However, he did not mention what happened to the several million Jews in Israel of Middle Eastern descent. The U.S. too had broken up, said El-Sharif, who plays a teacher and engineer. Okay, so this is bullshit, by the way. Um... I just want to correct the media whenever they, they, they kind of change the context slightly just to fit the story because they don't want to explain too much because they might lose your attention. So they got to lie a bit to make it more concise. So those, those concepts are in the show, but the, uh, the, the, the lead star doesn't actually bring it up, at least in the first episode. I have not seen the rest, but in the first episode, he, he is a teacher and an engineer, but you only see him teaching later on in the show. 
And these concepts are brought up by a teacher in the start of the episode, a different guy altogether, who gets arrested. Because in this world, it's a dystopian future where Egyptians and obviously the rest of the world in the Middle East are kind of suffering through this uh, kind of, uh, not I don't want to say post-apocalyptic, but there apparently is like a radiation wasteland somewhere, so we don't know what's happened just yet. But they are suffering from an energy crisis. People are in extreme poverty. Everybody's beholden to this 1984-type system. Very Orwellian. You know, a lot of the, the government controls what you say, what you think, what you teach. And obviously, it's not the governments of today. Therefore, that's not a criticism. Don't ban me. Or worse. In any case. <clears throat> so I'm just correcting what they're saying here because I, like, I don't like misrepresenting something when I know the truth. Uh, he said Israeli Jews of European origin returned to Europe. However, he did not mention what happened to the several million, million Jews in Israel of Middle Eastern descent. Yeah, that, that part's real. They did, the teacher does mention that, which is kind of messed up because they don't tell you. You can only assume what happens. So um, not, not a good spin here. Israel's foreign ministry said the show was unfortunate and unacceptable, especially between countries who have had a peace agreement for 41 years. Once enemies, the two states have worked closely on security issues since the 1979 treaty and also to enforce a blockade in Gaza. Gaza. Gaza, the Palestinian enclave with which they both share a frontier. You guys remember the story about you know people tumbling through Egypt? That's what they're referring to. Meanwhile, the Jerusalem Post newspaper called on its government to go even further than rather a bland statement, citing a clause in the peace treaty that states the two sides would abstain from hostile propaganda against each other. The 30-episode series is made by Synergy, which has ties with the government of President Abdel Fattah Sisi and airs on the ON television network, which is owned by a pro-government company. Now, this is not, by the way, the, uh, the Israeli government that's saying this part specifically here. This is a newspaper. And the newspaper's quote is saying, shows like this could not be aired without at least a wink from Cairo. That was the Jerusalem Post. They go on to mention that Al-Nahaya is one of many dramas and soap operas that launched during the Muslim holy month of Ramadan, uh, when people typically stay at home and watch television whilst fasting. Well, we, we, that's also not true. We kind of watch the television after we stop fasting. It's kind of the whole thing, because we don't have anything better to do. We can't talk to each other, apparently. We don't even watch the shows anymore. Have you ever been recently? If you're an expat, you don't know this. Have you gone to like a, an Arab family after Ramadan when we eat? Very few people spend the time talking now. We're just on the phone, texting each other. So nobody watches the shows anymore. Uh, so this is not the first time this has happened. They also bring up the fact that, uh, that there's also been pro-Israeli uh, shows that have come out recently. The ones that me and Matruka mentioned, you know, the Exit 7 one, um, which uh, shows the perspective of some, let's say, older Saudi men talking about why we should still be uh, you know, looking at Israel in a negative way. Uh, what has supporting the Palestinians done for us in the last couple of years? So that the whole thing, the support for Palestine, has been a fruitless endeavor. That is from Exit 7. And then there was the other one. Uh, is it Harun? I think that's the one you were mentioning, uh, Matruk. So those two, I haven't seen those yet. I'll watch them soon enough and give you my commentary on it. But the point is that Israelis are not happy about this. And I've seen the show. I've seen the first episode. I have to say... Synergy did a great job hiring people for the practical effects, the uh, the visual effects company that did it, the post-production. Really good. Not bad. I would actually love to see a corridor crew 
breakdown of the whole thing and whether the CGI is up to par or not, but it looked impressive to me. I was really excited. So before I make my own commentary, I want you guys to watch it. Watch the trailer if you haven't seen it yet and tell me what you think. Okay, I'm going to go quiet for a bit. Just watch it. Disclaimer, the trailer that was originally on this podcast live stream has since been claimed, taken down, and copyright stricken by the distributors and YouTube. I have contacted the distributors but have received no response from my request to promote and review their trailer on the show. So, that means you guys on the audio platforms have been kind of screwed. What you're about to hear is the trailer, the placeholder one that I made in the last eight hours to be able to fill in this edited slot. If you want to see the full trailer to El Nahaya, check it out on YouTube, because you know... I'm not going to be spiteful about this, but they're kind of dicks. Go ahead and watch it, and then watch my better trailer on our own YouTube channel on Bedouin Banter. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Here we go. And Nihaya. Kind of. عمري ما كنتش مقتنع بنظرية المؤامرة. عمري ما كنت مصدق إن في خطر مهدد الحياة على الأرض باستثناء غباء الإنسان وجهله. أوه فساد. أوه. كمان صهينا اكشن حماس صهينا انفجارات جرافيكس 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 روبوتات لحظة خطر طيارات طيارات كتيرة طيارات روبوتية اوه روبوت انا روبوت الكل روبوت كمان روبوتات روبوتات أكثر صهاينة آه كمان صهاينة النهاية the end all right there you go that's the that's the show النهاية so I think all the episodes are out but I I've been having a difficult time actually accessing them or finding them so if somebody can uh, can yar help me along my way uh, it would be much appreciated Just because I don't don't have access to the, the regular TV here, and I can't tell uh, which channel will be on at what times, but I'll try to figure it out. Any case, the show, like I said, one of the first uh, truly impressive, visually impressive, sci-fi dramas ever undertaken in the Middle East. Um, I want to say bad things because I'm obviously biased <laughs> against most of the writing that we have on on most of our shows. But I'm going to say good things, guys, because honestly, I feel like I've always wanted these genres tackled. I've always wanted these genres to be taken seriously. I've always wanted kind of like this dystopian, post-apocalyptic, greater than just the average day, just more of these uh, sci-fi concepts played out on screen in the Middle East, just so we can have some diversity. It doesn't have to be the most popular thing in the world, but having one or two shows that focus on that and, and they're done really well will be great. I love it. I love that they're taking this risk. I love that they're actually trying something different for once. Whether you're into the whole kusharis and computer aspect or not, okay? Whether you're into Egyptian TV or not. Which mostly I'm not. Not the modern ones. I'm more of a fan of the older, you know, back in the Masrahiyya days of Adl Imam. That type of Egyptian writing and comedy. That's what I was interested in. But I don't really watch the shows. I don't really watch the movies. I watch very little unless it intrigues me. And this intrigued me. And I have to say that the, the special effects are on point, okay? A few of the characters act really well. The, the problem I have is some of the characters are just, whew, like, bad. 
and I mean the contrast between such a good actor playing the lead, and he actually does a really good do- job, by the way. Him, his wife, uh, his wife kind of like ups the sassiness a bit too much sometimes, but generally, really good. There is the part about it that is conspiracy theory driven. The part that the Israelis are complaining about is a lot of that. The the victimization, the post colonial anger, the whole fact that oh, you know, the Arab world rose up against the rest of the world after America kind of you know, went into a civil war. Uh, apparently every state f- started fighting every other state. That's the graphic they show you, which seems weird. Why would the, wouldn't it be like the, the, the regular American civil war where it's like, you know, north versus south or east versus west, whatever, but it would be blocks. That just didn't seem real. But you can tell that whoever's doing this is inspired mostly by like the dystopian thinking and conspiracy style type thinking of someone like maybe uh, Sam Ismail, who is a great writer. He's the guy that made uh, uh, Mr. Robot, Egyptian-American, a brilliant guy. Uh, but we can see the trend. So there's this one scene in the, in the show that really annoyed the fuck out of me, which is uh, this one, where the guy, the main guy, the engineer, and he, he's trying to help out with this energy crisis because he works for the biggest corporation that is kind of maintaining everything. They run the power, the food for everybody, etc., and they want to sell, sell, sell to you everything that you need to survive and maintain public order, as well as telling you what to teach and what to not teach. So you don't teach uh, history that is not approved. Anybody that is caught teaching secretly is apparently shot. So that was the weirdest thing, by the way. One of the opening scenes of the show is uh, them like going with a SWAT team, a whole freaking SWAT team, like blowing up walls and stuff, and like high end. Not Mission Impossible, like, what's the other one uh, with, um, like, minor- Minority Report level tech blowing up a wall, going in to stop a freaking teacher. Like, he's not even teaching, like, like with, like, propaganda and hate or anything. He's just, like, ta- teaching some kids, like, hey, this is what happened to America. This is what happened here. This is, I don't know why he has a redneck accent, but this is, my, you know, what I do. In any case, he's teaching the kids. He's telling them this is what's happening, what happened to the world. And they come in. I thought maybe they'd shoot him straight away, which I'd find, okay, dystopian, you guys don't give a fuck, believable, right? No, one of the kids runs off, and the the, the soldier guy just shot him straight away for nothing, just for running off. And in my head, I'm like, really? You couldn't tackle the kid? Like, I know there's there are moments where, like, oppression really hits, you know, a breaking point, but you have to make me believe the the level of bad guy in this story. The bad guy can't be just evil straight out the bat for no freaking reason. It, evil has to be believable. There's a finesse in people that are evil. There's a, there's a, there's a layer of subtlety where you're, if you're a good writer, you're going to make me feel confused. You're going to make me think, hey, is he really that evil? Maybe he's doing it for good. And then you feel like an asshole when you find out that he is that evil. So there is a style and a technique when it comes to actually making somebody into a dick and just shooting a kid like a five-year-old or some shit who probably didn't even understand half of the crap that the guy was teaching anyway because he was a terrible teacher. He just kept jumping from one scenario to the next as if these seven five-year-olds would even understand what the hell he's talking about. Why are these kids being taught world history at that level anyway? Shouldn't they be like 16? Anyway... I guess, you know, killing a 16-year-old isn't that bad uh, to most Egyptians. So they decided, hey, let's make him shoot a baby. That makes sense. And <laughs> so this is the part that I have a, a few gripes on. Uh, they, they shoot the kid, then they blame it on the teacher. They're like, yeah, 
You know, people are just going to say that you shot this guy. And the teacher responds by saying, oh, the world is the state that it is because of you guys, people like you. That's why history never turns into something nice. And um, later on, the show goes on. This guy's trying to solve the energy crisis. And he's apparently hidden a prototype. So he goes to his superiors at the corporation he works at. And he's like, guys, I've come up with a prototype for this energy cell that is 10 times more efficient and better than the ones that we're using and we're mass producing. And he developed it in his own time. So something he's not supposed to do. And his superiors, the evil corporation that he works for, apparently gets fucking pissed off. Why did you develop something better? We don't want money that fast. We don't want to be that good at shit. Now, I get the concept of this conspiracy theory, which is that if you actually developed something that would help humanity, like, for example, a cure for cancer or an energy cell that would be useful, that would solve all our energy problems, that, you know what? These companies would kill it, they'd bury it, and they wouldn't want you knowing about it. There are cases of stuff like that happening. Like, for example, Electric Car. There's a whole documentary that Elon was involved in making, back to Elon, about who killed the electric car. And there is proof of companies that would do that, corporations that would do that, that would kill a technology if it would destabilize them. But if they could have the technology, they wouldn't necessarily kill it. They would just figure out a way to monetize it. Like, you have to get your conspiracy theories straight. How does this work? Either A, conspiracy theorists slash Illuminati want the best and the brightest so they can manipulate them into joining them and telling them, hey, you know, don't listen to these dumb people, these troglodytes. Come into our group. Be part of our inner circle because you're too smart to be there. Either it's that story or it's the story of them squashing down a brilliant engineer who managed by himself, again, messiah complex in the Middle East, one dude manages to figure out the problem of the whole world. I don't think it's ever happened. I think even with penicillin, it was a mistake. <laughs> but there, is, there are usually a team of people involved. It's not just one dude. Steve Jobs didn't fucking create Apple. How many times do I have to say that? Steve Jobs is part of a team of people that created that crap. It's not one genius. You need a Wozniak. You need the unknown names in the background to be able to create amazing, life-changing things. Even evil things. So it's surprising to me that the, the show takes the simplistic way of uh, describing this guy's challenge. Even though I said, like I said, interesting concept. I want them to keep doing more. I'm not going to say that this is, um, this is a bad show. Because I still don't want to contradict myself. I want these shows to continue. I want them to get better. But I also want to point out how stupid some of these scenes are. And look, I'll forgive everything else. I'll uh, even say a comment to Israel, okay? I'll say a comment to Israel right now, right here, so everybody doesn't think that I'm pro-Israeli in that sense. I'm pro-Zionist. Because it's not a conspiracy. No. Leave these shows alone. Israel, the rest of the world, shut the fuck up. Let us make bad shows. Let us have stupid ideas. Let us have conspiracy theories. Let us have people making these shows being as stupid as they want to be. Because if you're going to preach to us the value of free speech, then let us make the mistakes that we need to make in order to be better at free speech. It's like saying to a kid, and this is me flashing back to my own parents, okay? It's like saying to a kid, you know what? You need to be more responsible. You need to not do this. You need to not do this. You need to do this. I don't trust you with a car. Okay. 
So how do I get better at driving the car if you're never going to let me use the car? You can say, yes, I'm a stupid, dumb person that, or a stupid kid that's going to drive the car, and every time I drive the car, I get reckless. I start driving fast. Okay, talk to me. Tell me that. I'm more than willing to listen. Let's have an honest conversation. But I don't feel like this is an honest conversation. I feel like this is you guys telling us, and of course, our gracious leaders, uh, why we shouldn't be doing content that's controversial. I don't agree with this content. I think it's stupid. And I think most people know what my stance is on conspiracy theories. I just think they're oversimplified. They're stupid. I feel like there's a lot of complicated, fun reality, going back to the first part of the show, where most power struggles in real life are not that exciting. They're boring. They're based on these small finesse-based moves. There are factions at play. They're trying to figure out how to get what they want as well as not fuck up somebody else and not give so much power to another person that can turn on them at any second and then use that against them. Because like I said, a lot of factions at play. It's not one monolith that controls the world, okay? So my point is, let us make these mistakes. Let us have these shitty shows, even if they're controversial. Because it might do some damage. You might get some people that genuinely believe this crap. But without that, you're not going to get shows like this that are going to criticize and make fun of how stupid these shows are. In this one scene, the guy, after being threatened for either having the, the idea to develop this battery that would be 10 times better than the one they're selling, if he goes out there and does this again, or has developed a prototype, which he lies about. He says, I never developed a prototype. It was just theory. I was just writing it. He lies about that because they threaten him not only with being fired and losing his job, but possibly being banished to the radiation lands or the wastelands or whatever the hell that thing is that they haven't explained yet. Uh, but basically, turns out he did make a prototype. He didn't tell anybody. But you know what the stupid thing that happens in this show? He takes out the prototype when he's teaching the kids later. He's like, by the way, I made this cell. There's one battery. You can see this. He's teaching them about world politics, economics, and like sustainable energy. And he's, seriously, dude, you know they're after people. You know you're, he's, the whole show starts with him watching the goddamn news every single day. And his wife tells him, your blood pressure is going up from watching this bullshit all the time. And he knows it's lies. He knows there's a lot of shit going out there with people clamping down on, on oppos opposition views and pol like politics that they don't agree with and teachers like the guy that got shot. So my point is, if you know the world is that dangerous, why did you decide to just carry around this vital world politics changing goddamn piece of technology in your backpack to again teach seven-year-olds? Seven-year-olds that wouldn't know the difference between if you showed them, like, I don't know, like a potato with a light bulb on it and a fusion reactor. They couldn't care less. It's just literally a box. <laughs> and he's carrying it around in his backpack, showing these kids. Because, you know, that SWAT team, who gives a fuck? They're dumb guys anyway. They are, by the way. I'll tell you why. Because they're being uh, run by this asshole. Okay? <laughs> this dick right here. Now, scripting issues aside, like I said, congrats to the cast. Some of them really do some, you know, command roles, whatever you want to call it, command pivotal roles. They've done really well. There's some ideas in the show that are, 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 are promoted really well. They're, they're, they, they should be like a beacon of good writing for some people to, to kind of 
feed off of in the future in Arabic cinema and production. And my hat's off to the visual effects company. Uh, they're called The Crew. Check them out. They're the ones that are responsible for why this thing looks good. So um, hats off to them. But this guy, he, they're not responsible for this guy. Whoever was in the makeup department apparently got influenced by villains from Final Fantasy. I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure why, but he looks terrible, man. He looks absolutely atrocious. He's, first, he's decked out in leather. Okay? You can, you can see in this image, he's the guy on the left. He's decked out in full leather. He's got the boy band Korean cut. Okay? Like he's Sephiroth, but in Egyptian leather. I don't know why he's wearing leather in Egypt. I'm assuming that, considering the way global warming is going, that it's not a good time to use leather then, and it's not a good time to use leather now. But the guy is strapped. Like he's goddamn, you know, the Matrix, like Neo's Egyptian cousin, I don't know, Sami or Morsi. And the guy doesn't look threatening at all. Like, this, the, the, you can see the SWAT team, by the way, the, 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 this is the guy in the middle. He just stands guard with his freaking pistol out the whole time. As if that's the resting stance. Just holding the trigger finger, just on. That, that by the way, looks like really bad trigger finger discipline so he has it on the trigger and he's just holding the gun like this the whole time as he's just waiting for this investigation to conclude and they're so bad at their job they can't notice the woman that's spying that just happens to be in the facility just standing right next to him doesn't ask her why you're just loitering listening for no reason nope she's just there not behind a quarter not behind a column not behind a chair just standing there. <laughs> and and the, the guy, the cushiony guy with the, the leather BDSM Morsi. Let's just call him that, BDSM Morsi. He's amazing. Because not only is he not threatening with his amazing Korean boy band haircut. He's 50, I think. Maybe 45. And he, he looks like he wants to be a 17-year-old edgelord. <laughs> the best part about him is the fact that when he... You see him kind of like get up to leave his amazingly <laughs> decked out gear is that he's not really in shape either. <laughs> he bends around to get up and you can see his gut. It is my gut, bro. There's nothing intimidating about me and I would never play that role. I don't know why they cast this guy. I'm pretty sure he's somebody well known. He doesn't do a bad job acting. I was just going to say that, okay? He actually delivers his lines really well. He understands the character. He understands where he is in the hierarchy, and I'm pretty sure the character is going to get more interesting. The problem is, I can't take his character seriously! <laughs> this is a look! I, the guy looks like me when I'm fidgeting around like this, and I'm trying to figure out how to get, let the gas out of my body without causing it to go up on the mic with you guys hearing the burp or the fart or whatever else is going on. It's just... It's weird, man. It's a weird choice. I'm sure the guy has legitimacy as far as his acting background and everything else. But for some reason, we don't want to choose reality over fiction. And that's the idea behind this whole thing, guys. Is that I, I don't know. If, I haven't finished watching the show. Like I said, I'm done with the first episode. So far, they set up the premise really well. I'm not going to give away the spoiler at the end of the episode. Um, but 
the show seems to be heading down this really interesting dystopian take on things. So it's really good for the fun of just consuming it. But my problem is, is if you want to be sci-fi, choose whether you're going to double down on the visuals. So there's two routes for sci-fi these days. Now, see, I'm getting the gas, the Morsi edgelord gas. <laughs> Sorry. So there's two routes for the sci-fi. If you're either going to go with the visual sci-fi, right? So stuff that's all action-based, the Marvel stuff, the cinematics, all this other stuff, fine. Go down that route. You did an impressive job with the post-production, the, 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 you know, the visual effects, everything else. But then you can't have a guy that looks like that. It doesn't because now I'm not. I don't care about your ideas. I care about your visuals, and he looks wrong, and I don't want him in the show that way. Not without gut, not without haircut, not with whatever he's been eating right before. And if you're not, and you're going down the ideas pathway of sci-fi, then you have to go deeper than just that teacher telling people the biggest conspiracy ever made was the cell phone. Because apparently when he teaches those kids, he tells them that the cell phone was developed in, you know, the 90s, whatever it is. And he shows you the early cell phone and that it was like, you know, regular flip phone. And you guys remember the old Nokias. And then it would progressively got better and better and better. And that, they, you know, we had touchpad screens. Eventually the smartphone was used as a weapon. I don't know what he means by that. Like, did we eventually get plasma darts out of our cell phones? Like, presumably in 10 years time or whatever. But the point he was making to the kids was that the companies hid that technology. That they could have shown, we could have had smartphones that we have today from day one. In the 80s and 90s. You remember those days? Do you guys believe for a second, with all the garbage tech we had around, with all the stupidity of some of the consoles, like there were consoles that... Like video game consoles or pieces of tech like the VHS, the Betamax, that tanked entire companies. Entire companies went down. Millions and millions of dollars lost because of the VHS Betamax war. Or, you know, Blu-ray versus HD-ray, whatever the hell that was. I can't remember what it was called. You guys remember what I'm talking about. But people lost fuck tons of money. People with power. People that controlled swaths of the world. You're telling me those people decided, you know what? We knew that there's that tech out there, the smartphone tech. But you know what? We all agreed we'd not use it. Because we have to drip feed the technology for the next 40 years. So you know what? I'm going to take one for the team. My entire corporation, Sega as we know it, is going down the shitter. Because I'm not allowed to use it. I have, I have a, a higher, a higher faith. So you're saying essentially that they believe in something much more stronger than capitalism. Because if they cared about money more than anything else, they'd want to survive, right? You can't have it both ways. And that's my, uh, my last little sum of expectation versus reality. That's reality, bro. What do you guys think? Let me know in the comments. Have you seen the show? Do you like the direction of where sci-fi is going these days? Do you like the direction of, of shows in general in the Middle East over this Ramadan 2020? Um, do you have any commentary on this kind of conspiracy theory? Where the, the cell phone thing? <laughs> Imagine having an S20 
Samsung and like I can imagine the, the conspiracy theory of it happening like over a five year span. Like, oh yeah, we could have given them, you know, the S the S five to the S ten. Could have just skipped that. That I believe. But you're taking for the goddamn Motorola Motorola! You're telling me they just lost all that money for nothing. In any case. <clears throat> Abdullah Nasser. Surprisingly good. I didn't expect that from Egypt, honestly. Yeah, honestly, visuals, it's it's amazing. Uh, USA and Israel can have far worse TV shows that are flat out racist and it's freedom of speech. But God forbid Middle Easterners make the same mistakes. Uh, yeah, maybe they're all Arabic Tony Starks, he says. Yeah, it is a surprising thing that we have to deal with, you guys. But it, it, we live in really strange times. And this is why I feel like this is the best opportunity for everybody in the Middle East to actually, uh, you know, jump in on this conversation. Uh, have a go at it because we're represented in this world stage. And we have to have deeper conversations and deeper ideas than just, you know, these basic ass conspiracy theories. There's some good ones out there. There's some good storytelling out there. There's some good teams of people that know exactly what they're doing. So you see these guys that have learned from visual effects companies around the world and in India and the Middle East, uh, everywhere. They, they, they're, they're the next generation of kids. That's who they are. They're, they're our generation, me and you, depending on how old you are, I guess. But uh, they, they figured out, you know, I can learn something. I can improve something. I can actually do something at the world stage. And then they have to be let down by, you know, a middle-aged actor that doesn't want to retire and insists on doing roles that were probably designed for a 20-year-old and a makeup department that was just going, God damn it. I, want, I wanted Sephiroth so badly. I wanted to make him such an edgelord. Could you imagine if he went with the, uh, the mascara as well? Like under eye. Or maybe like the black lips. Because what's the difference between that look and a goth? Honestly. Look at this guy. He's amazing. I just love it. Every time I see it, I'm like, this is genius. This is what I expect from a villain. That's, that's the look. I'm, gonna, I'm so scared, bro. Now, you know what the problem is? If you were one of those guards, he probably is shooting his guards left and right. Like every five seconds, he's killing one of his guys because they can't just, they can't, they cannot, they can't keep a straight face. It's probably why they have the masks on because they don't want him to catch them laughing at him. So they just have to keep the masks because they can maybe hold the laugh in, but they can't stop the smile. It's like that Monty Python bickus dickus scene. And that's probably what the gun is for. I fucking figured it out. The gun is for when he needs to shoot them in the head. He's ready to just hand it over and be like, just take me out, bro. I can't take you seriously. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, wow. I love this show. I'm going to be reviewing this show. I wish, guys, I wish we could do like a companion where I could watch this show whilst you guys watch it. So I'll see if that's possible. I'll try to talk to some of the guys and see if we can figure it out. But yeah, that is it. The Nihaya. And with that, we get to the Nihaya of this story. Ugh, yuck, yuck, yuck. So let me know what you think, guys. Uh, don't forget to share, like, and subscribe. Uh, tell people we need to hit that 100 subscriber mark on the show. Give me your feedback. Uh, the audio will be up by tomorrow. Please give me feedback if you're an audio listener as well. I know a few of you are still listening on iTunes, Spotify, and Al-Ghami. If you feel like uh, there's something that's missing from that platform, 
that you'd like improvements on, small changes that I might not notice. Uh, it is a one-man one team after all, trying to make things work. So thank you guys for uh, joining me tonight on the Bedouin Banter Podcast. I believe in you guys and taking commentary off air. Don't forget to uh, help improve the channel. You subscribe, you share, and you give a comment at the end because it really makes a difference. It gives us uh, that little boost to the end. All right. You guys uh, have a good one, all right? Peace. Thank you.